as they're walking across. Well, that's what the Lord has been for me. He's been my bar that helps me balance as I'm walking on this tightrope. And so it's an honor and a privilege to be back here for me. Um, it, it's an incredible blessing because about four years ago, the Lord revealed something to me that I didn't even know about myself, and he had anointed me with the gifting of intercessory prayer. And so for the past four years, I've been working in my church as an intercessor, uh, as, a, as a prayer warrior. And because my church is pretty large in Maryland, we have a global footprint. So we have affiliations in Africa, Europe, Asia, the Caribbean, just all around the world. And um, in my anointing, I've been able to pray for pastors and leaders Amen. and persecuted Christians around the world. And I just want to encourage you that nobody was going to kill you for coming to church this morning. I just want you to know that we have persecuted Christians in Nigeria who are under the attack of a terrorist group, Boko Haram. It, they, this terrorist group wakes up every single day plotting how we gonna kill more Christians today. And I just wanna share a little testimony about one of the, the pastors there. So it's illegal to be a Christian in Nigeria. I don't know if you know, this ain't illegal here. The only thing stopping you from coming to church this morning was your own nastiness. That's it. It wasn't nobody, you know, parked outside your house with weaponry, high-powered assault rifles, machetes. You didn't have to walk 10 miles without shoes or without food to go and praise the Lord. You just had to get in your car, deal with a little rain, but you had an umbrella, so, you, you know, you were true, good to go. True, true, true. But our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, when they want to praise the Lord, you wouldn't even imagine what they have to go through. Just mere mention of the name Jesus can get you killed. And so there's this small church in uh, Nigeria, and one of the bishops was preparing to uh, do his sermon, and this Boko Haram terrorist group came in and on the night before the bishop was to do his sermon, killed all 98 Christians in the church. Lined them all up with a machete. Hacked all 98 of them. And so this bishop came for prayer. And so the prayer warriors gathered around this bishop and said, um, oh Lord, please let the killing stop. We just want you to get the glory. And the bishop said, duh, 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 duh. I said, huh? He said, duh, 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 duh. everyone's looking around. He said, do not pray that the killing stops. He said, pray that the blood that we shed would water the soil that a crop more dedicated than we would rise up to spread the word of God. <laughs> but that was an inspiration to me and it really showed me that your walk with the Lord it's got to be right it has got to be right so as I started asking the Lord well Lord how do you want me to pray for these people I mean people are coming to me they're hurting their children are out in the world their marriages are falling apart they're homeless they've lost their jobs and 
the Lord said, I just need you to get in my word, and I need you to, how many of you know that uh, the Lord loves to hear his word prayed back to him? You got to get in the word, and I mean, if you don't know anything, but in the beginning, God created the heavens, and that's a good start. That pleases God. And so he began to deal with me and he said, Nicole, I I really want you to get in my word. And he began to reveal to me that in the way that he wanted me to study his word, it wasn't the way that most people need to study his word. And so he was calling me into seminary. So I started seminary uh, this year. And I've been studying the word. Not that I believe I'm supposed to be a pastor, but just that I believe that I want to know everything from Genesis to Revelation. I want to be able to stand on every book in this Bible when the enemy comes to try to knock me off course. Because I'd be fooling myself and you'd be fooling yourself into thinking that the devil don't want you dead. I'd be fooling myself into thinking that he ain't mad right now that I'm about to give you some biblical principles that's going to allow you to shake this devil off your back (laughs) for a little while. So maybe if you've really not been going through anything in the last couple of weeks, months, or years, maybe what I'm getting ready to say to you won't be of value. But if you're tired of the enemy walking through your life, snatching your children, your health, your sanity, your your mind. If you if you mad at that, then I guarantee you, if you would apply these biblical principles in your life, that you will see things turn around. You will be able to stand through the wiles hmm. of the enemy. He did it for me. God is not a selfish God. So what he did for me, I am sure he will do for you. And so in order that we might move forward, I'm going to ask that you would pray with me because the devil real mad right now. So we need a collective prayer. And if you would join me in a word of prayer before I get started, I would appreciate it if you could bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, your children have gathered here this morning, oh God. Regardless of what we've been going through, we pressed our way like the woman with the issue of blood, oh God. We pressed towards you this morning, Lord. We ask in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would bind the hand of the enemy, Lord God, during this message. We ask that you would sweep out the corners, Lord God, of any demonic influence, that you, Lord God, would create clean and pure hearts, oh God, that you would unstop clogged up ears, oh God, that you would turn someone, Lord God, back towards you today, oh God, that you would stand strong in me, oh God, and that you would move me aside, Lord, so that your word may come through, Lord. We ask that you would do this, Lord God, that you might be glorified, your people might be edified, and the devil might be horrified by what we are going to do in this service. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray, amen. 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 So as my mom said earlier, we are engaged in a battle, and this battle is invisible, but it's for certain. And so we find in the book of Ephesians the doctrine on spiritual warfare. So if you don't know about it, I encourage you to read all of Ephesians because Paul, the apostle Paul, wrote this letter to the church of Ephesians while he was in prison. And so he was under the watchful eye of Roman soldiers. 
And so as he is in the care of these Roman soldiers, he begins to take notice of what they have on. He starts making some correlations and God begins revealing to him that just as these Roman soldiers are in the natural, we are to be in the spiritual. spiritual. And I truly believe that the church of Ephesus was so strong and was so powerful because they applied these biblical truths in their lives. Now what I'm getting ready to tell you, it is not from Oprah. (laughs) It is not from some (laughs) website. This is, from the, this is from God's word. They are true, tried, and tested, and they work. I guarantee, I don't guarantee much in life, but I guarantee you, if you apply these biblical principles in your life, God will see you through. Now, I believe every word in this Bible Amen. is a miracle word. I believe that if God said it, I believe it. And it's true. I'm not going to argue with you about whether it's true or not. I'm not going to get into different interpretations. I'm just going to read it for myself and know that God breathed this word and it's true. And because I believe that, I believe that every word means something. And so what we find in Ephesians 6 is Paul writing this letter to the Ephesians. And God tells Paul, tell them to put on the full armor of God. Right. Now God is omniscient. He knows everything. He could have said, Paul, tell them to put on the whole outfit of God. But if he said full outfit of God, somebody might think they got to look cute. Yeah. <laughs> or he could have said, Paul, tell them to put on the full suit of God. But that's not what God meant either, because if you told someone to put on the full suit of God, somebody might think we're getting ready to go into a boardroom, and we're getting ready to have a negotiation that's going to be all an equal playing field. But the Lord told Paul to tell the church at Ephesus, put on the whole armor of God. Now, we know who wears armor. So when I read this, I said, armor? It's a war. Only soldiers wear armor. I mean, you don't just walk in every day wearing armor. And so when I recognize that we are at war, as my mom said, and we are against these, at war against these ranked demons, can I just tell you that there are some private first class demons. There's some sergeant demons. There's some corporal demons. There's some general demons. You running around here chasing after these private first class and corporal, you better learn this word and take some generals out. I'm telling you, if you don't get these generals taken out, your life is going to be full of hell for the rest of your life. So I'm giving you these biblical principles that God has so wonderfully laid out for us. And that's what I love about God is that in his foreknowledge, he knew that we'd be going through these battles and he gave us his word. This is the all-time solution to whatever you are going through. You ain't got to get no subscription to O. You don't have to read, act like a lady, think like a man. You ain't got to run out and go see that movie. I promise you the solution is act like Jesus. That's what it is. You ain't got to act like no man unless the man you're trying to act like is Jesus. I guarantee you that. But every day, you have to wake up and put on the full armor of God. 
Now, I got to tell you something. You got to put it on for yourself. Now, Gigi, I love you, but you can't pray it on me. I love my mom, but she can't put it on for me anymore. Bishop T.D. Jakes can't come here and lay hands on you, and it's not, it not going to be the full armor of God. You, it's a discipline. You have got to get up and put on the full armor of God for yourself. Uh-huh. And I kept saying, well, what is this full armor? What, what could I say to make people know the importance of it? And I said, okay, here it is. Well, for the young people, just like you wouldn't leave your house without your cell phone, you can't leave your house without your armor. And for the older people, I said, well, maybe, I said, uh, just like you wouldn't leave the house without your underwear on, <laughs> you don't leave the house without your armor on. Because let me just tell you something, just in case you didn't know. Say you set your alarm at 4.45 and you go in your prayer closet and you spend some time with the Lord, or maybe you don't. I don't know how you do your mornings, but that's what I do. You set your alarm and you spend some time with the Lord and you say, all right, Lord, I'm going to put on my full armor and get myself ready for what the enemy has for me today. And you leave your house and you feel so good because you set your alarm at 4.45. The devil set his alarm for 4.30. He got a 15-minute jump on you and your day. <laughs> and he and his imps, his principalities, his powers, his authorities, all of them are wondering what they're going to do to you to knock you off track today. Yeah. They are plotting, how can I make you doubt God today? That's true. So you've got to put on this full armor every day to be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. And so you might be thinking, well, what is this? What is this armor? What does it look like? How do I do it? But this armor is God's supernatural provision for us to be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. And so if you look in your Bibles with me at 613, Ephesians 613, it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes that you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I'm going to stop right there. So the belt of truth. Now remember, Paul is writing this when he's imprisoned under the watchful eye of the Roman soldier. So when he talks about the belt of truth, he's speaking from the perspective of a Roman soldier's belt. And so we know from history that the Roman soldiers, they were a force to be reckoned with. They would go through country after country, province after province, wreaking havoc. They were skilled fighters. And so one piece of the armor that is really important was the belt because on that belt they would hang all the rest of their equipment on this belt. And so Paul through the revelation of the Lord said, wow, this is what we need. Christians need the belt of truth. And truth for believers is unconcealed reality and the absence of deceit. That's what the truth is. The devil wants to hide the truth, but God wants to reveal it. So you have in John 1:14 that says the word became flesh and was full of grace and truth. So you have Jesus who came to bring truth. And then we all know that in John 10 and 10 it says that 
the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. So you have these two very opposing themes that we have here. One, Jesus, truth, light. Other side, devil, darkness, deceit. So the devil wants to convince you that things aren't true. And one of the most significant tasks that the enemy has on us is getting to you to believe that you don't matter. Your life doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. Your gifting doesn't matter. He wakes up every day writing a book of lies specifically designed for your life. And if you don't do anything today, please know your worth. Because in Psalm 139, 14, it tells us we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make junk. I don't care if you were conceived out of rape. I don't care if your mama messed everything up, your daddy didn't love you, you were molested. I don't care if you made F's in high school, you didn't make it through. I don't care if you're gay, I don't care if you're straight, I don't care if you're confused. All I know is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God loves you and we need you in order to defeat the enemy. And so I'm sitting up here telling you this now, but I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that I haven't always had this light about this situation. And so maybe about 15 years ago, I was in, for all intents and purposes, I was in a pit. I was in a pit of darkness, spiraling into depression. I didn't think my life mattered. I didn't think God loved me because if God loved me, and I know I'm talking to somebody who said, well, if God, if you love me, why did you take fill in the blank? Why did you take my husband? Why did you take my money? Why did you take my job? Why did you take whatever it is? And so I was in a relationship with someone who I thought was my soulmate. You know what it is, girlfriend, when you with your boo, and that's the one, that's your man, that's the one that God sent. Now, you ain't got that revelation from nobody but the feeling that you feel in your belly, but that's your man, that's your boo, and you're going to spend the rest of your life. So after about 18 months when we hit a rough and rocky patch, and this man decided he didn't want to be with me anymore, and he left, I had spent so much time being us that I didn't have anything left of me. And I said, well, I had all these we moments, and we went here together, and we went there together. And when I looked back, I said, well, I didn't do anything myself. And so God began to deal with me. But as God was dealing with me, I was still in this tug of war. And so I had the enemy on the left side saying, if he don't love you, who gonna love you? If not him, who? If not now, when? You getting old, girl, you know you wanna have some babies and you know, you, you getting old, you ain't got it like you used to have it anymore. So I got the prince of darkness whispering on this side. But then I knew I had the, 
God of everything, the creator of the universe on this side, who's telling me that Satan was a liar from the beginning. He holds no truth, and it says it in his word. I believe if it's in his word, I said, Lord, you're going to have to show it to me. He said, turn to John 8, 44. He says that he was a liar from the beginning, and there is no truth within him. But still, I'm confused, and the enemy kept feeding me. How many of you know if you're hungry for something, anything will fill you up? Anything will fill you up. And he just kept feeding me these lies, and I'm spiraling and spiraling. And then he fed me the biggest lie of all. He said, well, I know you broke up about this breakup. Just go ahead and have a drink, and just you'll be all right. So I had a drink and felt good. I said, well, you're right. <laughs> if one drink make you feel good, two drinks make you feel great. <laughs> I mean, that was simple math. <laughs> if two drinks make you feel great, then four drinks might make you feel awesome. <laughs> and if four drinks make you feel awesome, 10 drinks make you forget about everything. <laughs> and so I began to drink my way out of this depression. But I realized I wasn't going nowhere. And so then I hearkened back to some things that my grandmother told me and some things that my mother told me. And, you know, sometimes we treat those things as cliche. When someone says, well, when you tried everything else, try Jesus, and you kind of charge that off like it's a five-cent phrase. But let me just tell you, I had tried alcohol. I tried going to the club. I tried dancing. I even had a girlfriend who told me, girl, the best way to get over a man is to get under a man. And I, wh what do you know? You try anything to get away from that hurt. But I started going back to church, and every time I went to church, God would just start giving me one rung of the ladder at a time. See, I just want to tell you something. See, some people want the whole ladder all at once. Well, they can just hurry up and climb on out of the abyss where they are. But that's not how God works. Every time I went, he gave me a rung of the ladder. And I began to climb my way with the help of the world out of this pit and darkness. And it's so funny because the more I went, the more God began to reveal to me about the nature of my broken heart anyway. He said, you broke up about this dude who was a hindrance to your walk with me. And I said, well, wait a minute, God. This is my, this is my soulmate. This is this ain't no hindrance. This is my love, Jones. We read poetry. We took an oath of celibacy. We, this is who you have for me, God. And he said, just as my ways, just as heavens are higher than the earth, so too are my ways higher than your way. And if you believe my way is perfect, then you're going to have to forget about this joker and get linked up with me. And I said, all right, I'm going to try it, I'm going to try it, I'm going to try it. And I went to the Word and began Bible study and began praying. And I came across a scripture, John 8:32, that says, truth makes you free. And so 
I know in your Bible it says truth sets you free, but I like makes you free because God is a creator. And I believe that he created me to be free from the moment I was formed in my mother's womb. He did not want me bound by a broken heart, by financial constraints, by people's judgment of me. He didn't want me bound by even by the enemy. He tells me to take his yoke, for his yoke is easy. And so therefore, I just began to study his word and I took it as truth. And just as that Roman soldier, I began to gird my loins with it. I put it around me and started surrounding myself with truth so that when this joker came back and said, oh, I do love you, by the way, I recognized him as not the truth. And I was able to walk away. And I just had to thank God for the man that he did send my way. Yeah, let me tell you something, ladies. You get so caught up with these bozos. God has a Boaz for you. I was so hooked up on this bozo, I couldn't even see. I turned my Boaz down, waiting around for this bozo. But he was so persistent. My Boaz, let me tell you, your Boaz will be persistent. Ladies, you don't have to, you don't have to page him call them, Facebook them. You don't have to pursue them. What God has designed for you. Well, let me just tell you today, don't text back, don't tweet back, don't call back, don't, don't visit back, don't turn back to that bozo because God has a Boaz for you. And so because I was faithful, because I started finding out the truth, God delivered an awesome man of God in my life who is a wonderful husband, who is a wonderful partner, who is at home with the children right now, laying on his face, praying and covering the hour that my mother and I would speak. So don't, don't, don't get caught up with bozos. They'll knock you off track. But you got to surround yourself with this truth and people who think the truth too. The second part, back in uh, Ephesians, if you go back, we said that you have to have the belt of truth and you got to have the breastplate of righteousness in place. So the Roman soldier's breastplate was critical to their survival in battle. So the breastplate covered everything from their loins up to right about right below their clavicle, protected all their vital organs, their hearts. And so for believers, God has given us the breastplate of righteousness. And so you might be saying, well, what is righteousness? Righteousness is being in right standing with God. And you might be wondering, well, how do I get in right standing with God? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8 reminds us to put on the breastplate of righteousness through faith and love. So we're going to look at the two components necessary for righteousness. The first one is faith, and I'm probably going to step on somebody's toes this morning and um, disrupt what you believe about faith, but faith is not believing in God. Faith is believing God. How many of you know there's a difference between believing in God and believing God? Believing in God, the devil does that. You need a little more to separate 
what you believe from what the devil believes. Yeah. Believing in God means, yeah, God exists. And I, yeah, he died for my sins. And somehow he, you know, he who knew no sin became sin. And something about something like that. I think there is a God because one time my cousin was sick and we prayed. And yeah, I believe there is a God. That's not faith. That's not faith. Faith is when you believe God. And so you, as a young Christian, as a mature Christian, as whatever it is, you got to go in this word and find you some promises of God to believe and to stand on. Now, I got some that I keep in my hip. I, got, I write them down. I put them up in my cubicle at work. I wrote them on my heart so that they are there. I carry them wherever. Because, see, the enemy is tricky. Remember? He wants to get in your mind and disrupt what you believe about God. And so, you know, one of my favorite promises of God to stand on is Jeremiah 29 and 11. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a fruitful and an expected end. So when the enemy comes to tell you, God don't care about your tomorrow. God don't care about you, what you're going through. You've got to put on your breastplate of righteousness, and you've got to hit the devil back with something that you found in the Word. Or I like to stand on Philippians 4.19. Now, you might have some bills that's overdue. Your taxes are late. Your mortgage is behind. Your kids' tuition or whatever it is, you're just financially busted. And so the devil is telling you, God can't do nothing about that situation. You're too late. You're just going to have to let him repossess your car. You're just going to have to let him take your house. You're just going to have to be broke. But I'm here to tell you, Philippians 4.19 says, God will supply. He didn't say some of your needs. He said all love them. And I am a witness to you today that he will supply all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Not according to Wells Fargo. Not according to your credit score. He don't care nothing about that. He's doing this from the riches that are in Christ Jesus. So you got to stand on that. And another I love is in Proverbs 133 that said, All who listen to me will live in peace untroubled by fear or harm. So you have to get that in your spirit about what faith is. And it's more than just a belief in God. It's actually believing what God says for you. And the second component of righteousness is love. And so love is very interesting, especially in, um, for people who speak English as their native language, because English is a very young language, and it's not as rich as other languages. And so we say things in the English language that would mortify people in other language. We can say, using the same verb, I love my mother, I love Oreo cookies, uh, I love the Jeopardy, I love to go for a walk, and I love the Lord. We can use love all those different ways. But that's not how it was in the Greek. 
See, the Greeks had three different words for love. The first word they had was eros. That's where we get the English word erotic. That's a sexual and a lustful love. That is a self-serving love. That's not what God is talking about. Next, there was the phileo love. That was a brotherly love. That was, well, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's where we get our word like Philadelphia from, that phileo love. But God is talking about agape. This agape love, it exceeds human understanding. Agape love is a love that is benevolent. It is not self-serving. It is the type of love that expects nothing in return. Now, I don't know about you, but that's hard to love somebody and not expect them to love you back. God's not interested in that. God is just in order for you to live a righteous life and to have the breastplate of righteousness. He is genuinely interested in you loving the person sitting next to you, even if you don't know their name, even if they make you mad, even if they stole your husband, even if they took your prom date, even if they stink, even if they're dirty, even if they're poor, even if they're nasty, God is interested. And that is so hard to do. It is impossible to do without him. And so what the devil wants to do is to get you to change the way that you have faith in God and change the way you love people. And if he can successfully do that, he has breached your breastplate of righteousness. And so in a battle with the Roman soldiers, if their breastplate was reached, the first thing they heard was the clang of the sword against the metal on their armor, and then they died. And so it's not so kind for us. We don't get a warning when our, our uh, armor, our breastplate of righteousness has been worn. Because let me tell you a little story that I think is interesting. A frog can jump into a warm pot of water and if you slowly turn up the heat on that, it gets real hot. If it's boiling, he'll jump out. But if you keep the water in that pot consistent, and you slowly turn it up, and slowly turn it up, and slowly turn it up, the same frog who jumped out of the boiling pot will cook to death because it'll get comfortable. That's what Satan is doing to us. He just turned up the heat a little bit. Little, little, little bit. And we just sitting there like the dumb frog, just cooking to death. When other people who are smarter recognize the heat and jumped out the boiling pot. So God is calling us to recognize when he, the enemy is turning up the heat so that he doesn't have the ability to breach our breastplate of righteousness. Now we go back to the word and we see the next piece that says, and with your feet fit it with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now remind you, this is still Paul writing in his letter to the Ephesians, he's still thinking about the Roman soldiers and the parallelisms between what the soldiers wear and what we're supposed to do. So these shoes, many 
historians credit a lot of Roman success with the sandals or the, the shoes that they had because it prepared them for battle. They had studs on the bottom they could dig in and really stand firm when they were getting ready to fight. And sometimes when they were going to fight their enemy, they had these really long marches. So they had to be comfortable and they had to be durable. And so what God revealed to Paul is that there was a similarity between the Roman shoes and the shoes that we're supposed to have. So our special shoes symbolize the readiness to spread the gospel, which is the good news that brings peace. And so you've got to understand that God is calling upon each and every one, not just the pastors or the deacons, the deaconesses or the musicians of the church. He is calling upon you to be able to spread the gospel of peace so that if you have a friend that calls you at 1.30 in the morning and that says, girl, I'm tired of this world. I'm ready to give my life to the Lord. You can't say, well, girl, go to church with me on Sunday, and then we're going to get you right. You yourself, God is calling you to know Romans Road. You need to be able to take someone who is in the world, pray them through Romans Road into their salvation. God is calling, and that is, a, that is what he's talking about with the shoes that are shod. Shod meaning bound tight. Not no flip-flops. God ain't interested in something you can easily jump out of because that's how we Christians tend to do. We can be real Christian-like in church on Sunday, but when Lil Wayne come on, we got to kick out our flip-flops and we got to, you know, dance a little bit and, you know, wear something that's not right. But God is looking for shoes that are shod. That means bound tightly. They don't come off so easily with the gospel of peace. And the peace that God is talking about here is an inward peace. And so in my bout with depression, I recognize that Despite the fact that all hell can be breaking loose around you, you could be steady and at peace. And so if you've never been in a situation where you haven't had peace, you don't really recognize the value of it. And so peace is something that I will never take for granted again because when you've been in a battle with the enemy and it's a battle for your mind, and you got to look at your clock and say, Lord Jesus is 140. Please help me get to 145. When you want to hang yourself or drink yourself to death or when you wish you would just die because you're too scared to do it yourself, but you just say, Lord, if you could just take me out, I'd be okay. you got to have an inward peace that only God can give. And Jesus promises us this in John 14, 27. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And it's not the type of peace that the world gives. It's a peace that's from God. And he is the creator of peace. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is the God of peace. The next peace that you have to have is your shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16 reads, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
This is one of my favorite parts because I love studying the Roman soldier. And what the Roman soldiers would do before battle is they would take their shields, and not the round like Captain America shield, but the shield that was like a door that covered their entire body. Well, they would take these shields and immerse them in water overnight so that when they went into battle and the enemy would launch these fiery darts, hold up that shield, quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And I said, wow, how awesome is that, that God would reveal to Paul that we do the same thing with the shield of faith. This shield of faith protects every aspect of our lives. And what God is asking us to do is to submit every facet of our lives to the protection of the shield of our faith. We can't say to God, well, Lord, you can have my Sunday, but you can't have my New Year's Eve because you know that party that the Wiz gives is real cool. That's not what God is interested in. You can't say, well, God, I'm going to give you my children, but I'm not going to give you my marriage. You can't. That's not what God is looking for. The shield of faith is designed to cover every aspect of your life. And it will protect you when the, the enemy has his sights set on you and he lobs all these false accusations about you, about God, and about his word. So when he launches one of those things that says, uh, I'm lenient, let me just tell you, God is not lenient. God is merciful, but he just doesn't allow anything. That's a lie of the devil, and we have got to extinguish that. God is not lenient. He is merciful. So we have to remember that. And one of the most important things that the Roman soldiers would do with the with their shields, and I thought this was so awesome, is when they had a particularly mean and nasty opponent, they would get into this formation called the tortoise formation. And so all of the soldiers in the front would hold their shields up in front of them this way, and the soldiers on the left would hold theirs up this way, the soldiers in the back would hold theirs up this way, the soldiers on the right would hold it up on the right, and those in the middle would hold it up so that they were completely enclosed in the shield. So as the enemy was launching his fiery darts, everyone was protected. That's the importance of us coming into the body, coming here so that you and your brothers and sisters here can link arms. And so that when the enemy lobs these fiery darts, you got your brother on your right, your sister on the left shield to protect you. Now we'll move on to the sword of the spirit. Oh, wait. I'm, I, nope, maybe did we do? Nope, we didn't do helmet of salvation. The sal helmet of salvation was designed to protect the soldier's head. The head is where... The seat of your thinking and intellect is. And the devil, that's the real battlefield right there. The devil is after your mind and he wants to control what you think. And some of us have what they call stinking thinking. Our thinking stinks and the devil is all up in our head. The devil is trying to tell you that you 
you having an affair, but it's okay because your husband didn't tell you you look pretty. Or, or he'll say, um, well, it's okay to drink and hang out with your friend because God knows my heart. That is not the word of God. That is not what our salvation, uh, helmet of salvation is about. We have to get our thoughts under control. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and 6 reads, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought into obedience to Jesus Christ. Every thought. So as soon as you have that thought, I should give him a call back. You got to arrest that thought and bring it to obedience in Christ. I should do this. I should do that. I should smoke this. I should sleep with this. I should take my tithes and go shopping. I should take every thought and bring it to the obedience of Christ. That's what the helmet of salvation is. God has supernaturally provided that in order that we could defeat the enemy. The sixth piece of the army is the sword of the spirit. And this is both the defensive and offensive weapon. The Roman soldier would use his sword. He had two types of sword, one long and one short. But this is the weapon of choice. When he would go into close quarter combat with another soldier, that's all he would have. And when this sword was sharpened, it could even pierce through metal. And our sword is the word of God. You got to get in this word of God and allow it to sharpen you every single day. You've got to stop memorizing. I love Beyonce, but Beyonce can't save me from the fiery darts of the enemy. So don't tell me you can't memorize scripture and you remember the, the lyrics of Sugar Hill. Don't tell me you can't memorize scripture and you know the, the lyrics to every Drake song or every Little Wayne song. If you can remember those things, you can certainly remember the word of God because the word of God illuminates. It gives us wisdom. It cuts through every defense that the, even Jesus used. When he was being tempted in the desert, Jesus used the word. So if Jesus used the word, you know we got to use the word. And so Jesus was speaking specifically about the two types of word here. There's logos and there's ramos, rhema. So the logos is the written word, but the rhema word, that's a word that when you hear it, it sets a spark off in your spirit. And you say, that's for me. You ever come to church and you're going through something? And then Pastor Venice says exactly what you're going through, and it's the salute. That's a rhema word. So that is what Jesus was defending the enemy with. So that's what we have to do. And remember that the sword only works when it is sharp. So we have to remember to sharpen. And the final piece, though not uh, part of the armor, it's the binding. I remember when I was little, my mom used to make meatloaf. And she used to say, you need to put something in it to bind it up, to keep everything all together. And so I'd see her putting eggs and breadcrumbs and getting it. I'm thinking, well, what you need to put all that? That's what look like it's a cake, not a meatloaf. And she said, you need it for binding things all together. And so what God has provided for us to bind this all together is prayer. So prayer 
is so important. And verse 18 of Ephesians 6 is asking and instructing us to pray on all occasions. Luke 18 and 1 encourages us to always pray and not to lose heart. So I'm thinking that Jesus prayed. I know Daniel prayed. You can turn throughout your Bible. Daniel prayed three times a day and not God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. Amen. I'm talking about praying until you pray. If you don't know what to say, just start saying something. Because the Holy Spirit makes intercessions for us. And so you can pray and you say, that's the devil telling you, well, my prayers are stupid. I don't know. My prayers don't sound like deacon so-and-so. Or my prayers don't sound like pastor so-and-so. God don't care about that. And if you don't know what to pray, just open up Psalms and just start pray, just pray through the Psalms and start reading it unto God. And remember that it is a two-way communication in prayer. Prayer is not like a waitress that comes to take your order. Prayer is two-way communication. I'm praying to God and God is communicating with me. So we have to develop this lifestyle of prayer in order for us to be able to use the armor of God against the attack. Mind you to wear it, put it on as a discipline, have faith that it works, and remember that no, pro there's no protection. I thought this was very interesting as I was reading through. There's no protection for your back. You can't turn around and run from whatever is coming at you. You got to stand so that God will supernaturally provide for you the opportunity to fight the enemy. And so as I'm closing, I'd just like to share a quick story with you about Layla Ali. And so in an interview with Layla Ali, this fascinating interview, the interviewer says, well, you're so pretty. What, what would make you want to be a boxer? She said, oh, I just love it. I grew up in a house where boxing was part of my way of life. I just, it's great. So the interviewer says, well, what do you do to prepare for your matches? And Layla Ali says, well, I eat right, sleep right, think right, act right, does all these things. And she says, well, and when all else fails, I remember who my daddy is. And I said, wow, that's a lesson for us all. So if when we get into these battles, if we could just remember who our daddy is and just remember that the enemy is formidable but already a defeated foe, that we know that we will still be able to stand the attacks of the enemy. Thank you.